Good morning, everyone. Let's begin in a word of prayer, and we'll get right into it. have a few things to cover today with our review. Last week, we started review. This week, I want to cover a few more details concerning uh, chapter 2 in Romans about sin and mostly about what it means to store up wrath. You can read chapter 2, verses 5, and all the way kind of several verses after that. It talks about storing up wrath. And either you're doing good deeds or bad deeds. And storing up actually means quantifying levels of wrath for yourself. And Jesus talks about storing up treasures in heaven as the, the opposite. So there's a symmetry between heaven and hell. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. I'm actually going to be preaching on this in January to the congregation more in detail, mostly about heaven, not so much about the hell part. <clears throat> so this is to talk more about last week. I was talking about how sin, everyone, is sin, everyone has sin. Everybody is leveled at the foot of the cross. However, there is very much a a quantifying, a, a magnifying your sins. And there's a gradation of sins. Not all sins are equal. All sins land you in hell, essentially, but not all sins will result in equal sorrow or torment on the last day, forever. So let's begin with a word of prayer. Good morning, come on in. And, and then we'll, we'll, we'll get into it. Does it sound good? Lord, thank you for everyone here. We pray for those that are not here, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray that you'd strengthen them, that you'd build them up. Lord, help us to build one another up, to encourage each other to love and good deeds, to be faithful witnesses of Jesus Christ in our homes, to our children and to our wives, or to our husbands and children to our extended family members, to our neighbors, to our city, to our state, to our country, and to all other nations. Help us to be missional-minded, God. Help us to have a mind set on heaven, a mind set on what is doing, doing what is right, doing what is good, doing what is pure. Help us, Lord, to be loving, to be kind to people and to one another. Help us to forgive one another. Lord, we ask that you would forgive us of our sins and our many transgressions and that you would help us to realize through the study of the scripture and by the power of your spirit to sober us up to realize what we ought to be doing more and more each day. Following Christ, treasuring you above all things, and to lay aside the deeds of the flesh and to lay aside this world and its sinfulness. Lord, we pray for Paula and David Smith and her dad who is suffering with cancer, returning. Lord, please comfort them in this time. We ask that you would heal him in accordance with your will. But Lord, we ask that you would comfort them and that all of them would know you more through this time and that heaven would be all the more paramount in their life 
and that you would use this time as you see fit to draw them closer to you, that they would know you more and more, and that they would be able to strengthen others out of this time who may go through affliction and times of hurt and pain in the future. Lord, please comfort them and help us to comfort them as well. Amen. So last week we covered chapters 1 through 3. I summarized on chapter 3 about there is none who seeks for God. There is none who is righteous. There is none who understands. All have gone astray. There is none who does good. But I want to back up now and go back into chapter 2 a little bit and discuss some of the things there in Romans 2, 5 through 10, specifically verses 5 and 6. While not all sins are the same in degree and amount, storing up is the term used in verse 5. If somebody wants to read Romans 2, verse 5 for us, please do so. Romans 2, 5. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourselves for the day of God's wrath and His righteous judgment will be revealed. And verse 6 says, God will render to each person according to His deeds as an individual. So, stubborn people and unrepentant people are, key word here, storing up. And Jesus uses this word to tell believers and followers to store up treasures in heaven. And there are a number of scriptures that talk about this, and if you study the topic out, you'll see a symmetry between heaven and hell on these issues. That there are grades of sins, and that there's amounts of sins that you can commit in the body. And then as a believer, there is grades of purity and doing what is right that you can do. You can quantify your righteousness by doing by obeying all commands in Scripture and serving Jesus Christ in that way. And then you can also there are there are greater ways to do that. All all Scripture is important, but there are some commands that are, have greater weight than others. They have greater quality, qualitative value in God's eyes. So not all sins are the same, and not all positive commands are the same either in quality. Which results in levels of sorrow and torment in hell, and levels of joy, happiness, glory, honor. We read in these passages in verse 8, it says, or verse 7, those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life, but those who are selfishly ambitious, the stubborn and unrepentant heart, those who do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there is wrath and indignation. So there is indignation and wrath in hell, and there is glory, honor, and immortality to be had in heaven. The only way you get into heaven is by... Thank you. It's like you're reformed or something. Perfect. Recently reformed. More reformed. 
So we're, <coughs> does everyone in here understand that they have sin? And that they deserve hell? Mm -hmm. The only way that you cross this line into heaven is by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And everyone on this pyramid, so to speak, to have joy, more joy, become more lovely, more humble, most lovely, most beautiful, most gloried, most honored, right underneath God himself in heaven, that is also God's gracious prerogative to grant believers reward in heaven for faithfulness on earth. It comes through grace, and we can study those scriptures out later. However, in this passage, and specifically staying in with Romans, we're focusing on God's wrath in this moment. So in hell, there will be sorrow, more sorrow, more torment, more, 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 most, and Satan with the most, I believe. You can soar up bad for yourself in hell, and this is actually what Romans 2, 5 is specifically teaching on a very detailed level. So on the one hand, you can stomp your foot in anger behind your door at your parents. That would seem not so great of an offense to us, right? And then on the other hand, you can commit multiple acts of murder. One will suffer more in hell, and it would be the greater crime. Murder is a greater crime than stomping your foot in anger at your parents behind your door. Does everybody understand that? If you hold a grudge for a few days, that might not be as bad as slandering a person and wanting to kill them in your heart for several years. Does everybody understand that? So, these sins may seem trivial to us, but they still violate God's law and character. God says that all sin, all kinds of sin, and all quantity, amounts of sin, shall be punished in hell. However, sins of a more grievous nature and more abundant nature shall be punished, biblical language here, more severely. Okay, there's severity, levels of severity, and biblical language in this verse is storing up wrath for yourself. Both now, on earth, you can have some wrath and discipline that happens to you as a believer and unbeliever, and ultimately in the eternal state of hell, everything that you've stored up as an unbeliever shall be coming back to you, shall be recompensed to you by God. So on the one hand, you can quantify your sins at a small amount or at greater sins or low sins. You can quantify those sins during your time on earth. And you can also commit sins of a greater, more heinous nature, which will result possibly in greater degrees of, of torment and sorrow in hell as well. So you have moments in your life, every moment of your life, you have two opportunities. As a believer, you only have this opportunity now, is to store up treasure in heaven for yourself. As an unbeliever, you are storing up wrath for yourself. Greater and greater degrees of torment, sorrow, and hell. Jesus dealt with believers' sins on the cross and have gained them entrance into eternal joy and bliss with God. 
but not everybody will have the same capacity or fullness of joy, happiness, honor, and glory or beauty. Jesus says there's a throne to his left and right hand that John and his brother James could not sit at, but only the one for whom the Father had prepared. Two men are going to occupy a place next to Jesus' throne. They will be the ones who are the most like Jesus on this earth. They will be the most humble, the most lovely, the most beautiful saints you could ever meet next to Christ. And you will see them that way in heaven. And those being the most honored and the most gloried saints in heaven, they will look upon us lowlier ones and have the most humility, grace, love, and service toward us, just as Christ did on this earth. They will be the most like Christ. And, and the society in heaven will be one that is happy. And as Paul says in Corinthians, this is the heavenly society, and it's really difficult for us to imagine this. There won't be any envy or pride in heaven. There won't be envy upward, and there won't be pride downward. There will only be a pure, loving society, love upward and love downward. And if one member is honored, it says in the scriptures, all members rejoice. Heaven will be a place where the most highly honored people, Jesus being the epicenter and the top, will be most honored and everyone will rejoice over Jesus. And the people who occupy a place next to Jesus will also be lovely and beautiful, closest to him. And we will rejoice and be glad at God's work in their life and their work to obey the Son. And we will rejoice with them for their honored and glorified position. We will be happy for them. We will not envy them. Heaven will be sinless, and it will be a utopic, perfect society. You won't covet somebody else's honor, somebody else's glory. You will rejoice because God is able to take sin away from our hearts, and it will be a pure society. <clears throat> in Matthew 11, Jesus says this, He began to reproach the cities in which most, most of his miracles were done because they, these cities, did not repent. And he says, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, so notice he's separating differences in these cities. Some things have happened before your eyes that did not happen in others. If the things that had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, place that, places that were judged by God with, with judgment, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Jesus is saying those places were not as sinful and hard-hearted as you. I judge them, but he's saying something here. They're not as bad as you guys are being bad. They would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes if they'd seen what you've gotten to see. Jesus is stating the reality of what would have happened if he would have came to them a long time ago. They didn't deserve that, however. Verse 22, Nevertheless, I say to you, it shall be more tolerable. There's that idea of more. More severe, more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment. They're still going to hell and going to face an eternal judgment, but it's going to be a more tolerable day for them than it will be for you. The gradation 
of punishment, torment, and sorrow will be greater for the cities that rejected Jesus than the cities that were judged in ancient times that had far less knowledge and grace shown to them of God. I say to you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Do you know what is more severe than extreme acts of violence and homosexuality? To see Jesus and to reject him. To reject the most holy one on the earth when he visits you. Homosexuality and extreme violence of Sodom and Gomorrah was judged severely. And we witnessed that in the scriptures and we can read that account. But Jesus is saying, it's going to be far more painful for you guys, these three towns in Galilee area, than what Sodom received and what we all read about. To reject Jesus is a greater crime than homosexuality. Having seen him face to face. While homosexuality of Sodom is a serious crime and it is much more serious than other sins we may commit, it is far more serious to God that a town see Jesus in the flesh and reject him after seeing all of his miracles and power. Punishment for flat out rejecting Jesus will be punished greater in hell than those who tried to molest the angels in human male form at Sodom. Luke 12. 47 and 48. And Jesus told this, this truth reality in a type of parable. It's, it's not really a full-blown a full blown parable. Jesus said this, comparing, comparing people. And that slave who knew his master's will, knowledge is key here. Knowledge is going to be the difference. The slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will shall receive, keyword, many lashes. The more knowledge you have and the greater your rebellion, the more lashes you shall receive. 48. But the one who did not know, lack of knowledge, and committed deeds worthy of a flogging, still committed wrong, but he had less knowledge, he's still going to get a flogging, but he will receive but few fewer lashes for the slave who knew less but still did wrong. He still receives a punishment, but it will be less severe as the one who knew more of God's commands and laws and did not act accordingly. <clears throat> now there's a serious warning in there for us. Because everybody in here has scriptures in their hand. You have the full account of God's commands. And you have great knowledge. Yet there's grace for us as believers. We don't have to pay for our failure. However, I want you to understand, the moments you waste in this life, you will still be full of joy in heaven. But these scriptures are here to tell us you're not storing up as much treasure for yourself in heaven. And you're not honoring Christ as well as you should. And from, every, and from everyone who has been given much, much shall be required. You've been given much, much more is going to be required of you in God's economic system. To whom has been entrusted much of him, God will ask all the more. 
The more you know, the more accountable you are to God with how you think, act, and live. It is serious to know God's will, and I believe he's specifically talking about the rejecting Jewish Israelites at this time. But listen, people who profess Christianity can be just like the Pharisees. We can profess to have the New Testament too, and still come short of actually believing it and being regenerated in heart, but we're walking through churches every day. Uh, to think that people who, who say they're Christians is somehow different than national Israel who knew God. The reality is, is there's no difference. And the Bible in the New Testament talks about how there will be tares amongst the wheat. And the tares looked identical to the wheat in so many ways, but the difference was that you couldn't see was the seed inside. The tares didn't have a seed, yet the wheat did behind the surface. Jesus said it will be revealed in the day of judgment who really is a Christian and who is not. To know God's will and to act accordingly, you will be punished to the degree of your knowledge and ignorance, neglect, and laziness towards God's commands in hell as an unbeliever or even as a person who believes but was never regenerated by God. I feel especially fearful for those who proclaim Christianity like those Pharisees that are whitewashed tombs, religious, and do many things but are unregenerate in heart and have not learned compassion or grace. They know a lot and they do a lot, but their heart is not changed. Jesus told them constantly, go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not a sacrifice. They're willing to do all these external religious acts, but they couldn't do the moral law on the inside. They didn't pursue the moral law, which is a greater importance than giving the right amount of money or the right amount of prayers and looking religious and following ceremonial laws to actually be like <laughs> self, stop looking at my neighbor's wife is far more important than giving the right amount of dill on the day of a sacrifice. Does everybody understand that? God looks to the heart, and the moral law is of greater importance than doing some of the external things that are also good, Jesus says, and you should do those, but you should not neglect the weightier provisions of the law, which is the moral law, doing what is right inside, here and here and in your actions. All of it. You should look to all of it, but there is weightier things to the law that we should strive for. Love, compassion, doing what is right, serving God first. Jesus tells this to Pilate in John 19, 11. You, Pilate, would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me up to you has the Greater sin. Greater sin. Judas and the Sanhedrin have a greater sin than Pilate is about to commit. They had more knowledge. How much knowledge of Jesus did Judas have? Intimate companion with him for the last three years. The Sanhedrin should know who he is. He is of their country. They are interrogating him with the law. And they condemn him wrongly, unjustly, jealous of him and his popularity. They hate his teaching because it confronts them in their sin. They have greater sin than Pilate. Pilate doesn't know what they know. They have, they have the greater sin. 
and they will be judged accordingly to a greater degree in hell. Hebrews 10, 29 says this, How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he, Jesus, was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? So Jews and the author of Hebrews they were coming around Christianity and the Christian community of Jews, and they were learning this teaching, but then they would apostatize from it and reject it ultimately and try to go back with the Pharisees and the other synagogues. And they were like, no, I don't want this Jesus. And they're rejecting this greater knowledge that they've, they've received through teaching and other Jews witness to them. There is a severer punishment for those who've received the knowledge of the gospel through faithful witness of gospel believers and reject it. Reject Jesus and say this is ridiculous or whatever their whatever their their reason is for rejecting it. So to loosely paraphrase Jonathan Edwards, sinners in hell will have wished they could go back and just stop one of their sins for one degree of relief in hell. That's how serious it is. And you can read that in Luke 16. I believe it is. Lazarus and the rich man. One goes to Abraham in paradise. One goes to hell. The rich man in hell wanted relief. And he says he needed water to quench his tongue. That he could not have this burning on his tongue, in his mouth. And he wanted relief. And I believe Edwards is right. Sinners wish that they could go back and just stop one, one sin for some relief in hell. But what's interesting is he wanted Abraham to send Lazarus back to his brothers to tell them to repent. But he didn't. it's like he knew he couldn't repent himself or that he did not want to. And he didn't want God. He just wanted relief from torment in the story. If you want more information about heaven and hell and stuff like this, I suggest John Piper. He's got a good things. I sent them out in the notes. Three articles from desiringgod.org. I will be teaching on heaven. I believe it's going to be January 5th. Romans 3.21. God rescues us from the wrath to come by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Yes? If you trust in Jesus Christ, you do not have to suffer forever in hell. The, the sobering passages we just read about. And those passages should sober up everybody and get everybody's attention. Even the believer to recognize the severity. It should motive those passages should motivate us toward mission. Yes? Loving people, sharing the gospel with people, knowing what's at stake, caring for people enough to give our time. 
our resources, our effort, and is not Jesus Christ worthy of our every effort? Look at what he's rescued us from. The severe torment and punishment that we know we deserve for our many negligent acts against him and his word. He's paid for all of that. And he's given us power by his spirit and regenerated hearts to begin to live for him and store up treasure now in heaven. To have more joy. You're going to be full of joy no matter at what rank you are in heaven. But we ought to, Jesus says, to care about doing it better and more. Yes, Lisa. I agree with what you're saying. I'm not, I'm not trying to be disagreeable. But the scriptures you bring up and the sins that you bring up that, that we do consider worse than others, it doesn't seem like God does. It seems like he's his fiercest anger to the murderer, to the lifelong murderer, the guy utters, utters one sentence and he says, come, be with me in paradise. But to the false teacher and the one that appears as really good, he's the most scathing and continual rebuke, like in Luke 16. And, and the guy who is up there on the pyramid would be as most as the blind beggar. <clears throat> it's not, I mean, murder, I'm not saying is good, but that murder is indicative of an unrepentant over a long period of time who has stored up wrath. It just seems like the people that look the best are the ones that God is the most angry with. I don't know. Yes, there could be much false religious piety. Yeah, the, the false in, teacher, the, the I don't know, just, I just think our, our Western mentality in, in, dictates how we view and, and I think that almost enters into a Catholic view do you wonder why Catholics have a view of earning? Because the scriptures teach this. But then when you, when you don't understand the separation between justification, sanctification, and all the other scriptures combined, you can distort what is true. So the Bible has a lot of truth. Catholics have a lot of truth that's really close. But without closer scrutiny of scripture and how to distinguish things, you can turn something that is true into something that is wrong. So the Catholic system, you don't enter heaven. This is why I asked, how do you get into heaven? By grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, yes? And all of this scheme, it's God's grace. Because everyone here, this guy up here on top, deserves to be down here. If this is God's gracious prerogative, to it, you're not, in a sense, you're earning. You're not earning heaven, and in a sense, you're earning, but you're not really earning there's a sense in which it's totally God's gracious prerogative to reward you. This is a reward for obedience. This isn't like, this isn't truly deserving. You don't actually deserve this. This is what God has decided to grant you in Christ, ultimately. Anything up here is ultimately by grace. Because what you really deserve is right here. So to come into here is through Jesus Christ's grace. 
Everything, the most honored position next to Jesus, Jesus empowered all of that and made it possible. He is the origins. The most holy saint in all time that's sitting next to Jesus' throne and administers God's justice and love in heaven was empowered by the Holy Spirit and by God's grace. It was prepared for him by the Father to be able to do all that. It wasn't himself. And you know what? He will be most like Jesus. He will live a life. He will have lived a life most like Jesus. Caring for people. Washing feet. Jesus serves people. And he's the king. He got down on his knees, dirtied himself, and washed people who deserved hell. Everything that we get in heaven is of God's grace. You're commanded to take it seriously and to think about the structure of heaven, but I want you to understand it's all of grace. It was empowered by the humblest man in the world, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who washed people's feet and cared for them. He preached, he taught, he was holy, he was righteous, and he's pure, totally, and that's why he's on top. But he will also empower saints and apostles and Christians to live a life most glory and beautiful to him, and I'm sure many people can name a few in here. And some of the most lovely saints that we think are awesome reflect some of the most humble attributes like Jesus. Hospitality. Sending money without anyone knowing about it to somebody in great need. Going without food so you can give to somebody else in need. Having a heart full of compassion. And see, the false religious leaders didn't actually care about anybody the Pharisees, the whitewashed tombs. They wanted to look what was right and they wanted to use their rank to lord it over everybody else and to be worshipped. But the person who is up here next to Jesus doesn't want to be worshipped. He's been most affected by God's love and wants to know how he can serve the person down here in this society. And that's why this society will be utopic and pure. There's no pride up here and there's no envy down here for people above. It's like, man, look at what God did to all of us. Praise be to him. I hope that helps. A little bit. God saves us by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. By faith in him and what he did. So we learn about God's grace. We learn about redemption in chapter 3. How we get saved from everything that we deserve. We get saved by that, and it's God's gracious prerogative to bring us into heaven, to fill us with joy, and to establish a kingdom, society, and administration in heaven and on the new earth one day. People will have varying roles and responsibilities. Some of the parables say one man will rule over ten cities and one will rule over five to the degree of his faithfulness on heaven. And other such passages like that. And all that was given by God. Where did the man get the money from to do that faithfulness? It's from God. So all praise, honor, and glory ultimately goes back to God. And it's God's gracious prerogative to reward him with something that he does not deserve. And that is he gets to be an administrator over God's society in some way, in some degree in the future. And to worship God at a varying degree or level in heaven. And have experienced joy at one degree or another in heaven. 
Romans 4, we learn of faith of Abraham. So Paul shows the readers, by God's grace, through faith, it has always been. Look at our forefather Abraham. It was by faith that he was justified. Joshua tells us that Abraham was an idol worshiper, that their forefather was an idol worshiper, and God graciously came to him, revealed himself to Abraham, and called him out from that, and drew him away from his sin by grace. It's a gracious imagery there if we look back to the story. But we can distort that. We can distort those truths. To varying degrees. David says this, Blessed is the man whose lawless deeds have been forgiven, whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not look at anymore. What you deserve, the Lord does not take into account anymore. He transfers you up here by grace. By grace. <clears throat> Is this blessing then on the circumcised or the uncircumcised? It's on both. Faith was credited to Abraham as righteous while uncircumcised. So it has nothing to do with works or an external ceremonial religious thing. It is in the heart, and it's by God's grace through faith, which is in here and here. That's how salvation comes. And faith and repentance are both gifts from God, as we learn in the, the New Testament. Faith is the only way, and grace is the only means. Faith is the only way, and God's grace is the only means in which that can happen. God has to not take your sins into account. And He does that by crushing Jesus Christ and covering your sins. This gets covered by Jesus. The blood of Jesus Christ covers your sins and transfers you to the kingdom of light. The blood of Jesus Christ authorizes the Holy Spirit to come to your life and change you to where you care about heaven and God and glorifying Him and doing deeds worthy of repentance. <clears throat> You care about the law. You run to the law. You run to doing what is good now. You hate what is evil, wrong, and bad. And you strive to war against the flesh against that. Romans 4 also speaks of uh, the nature of the atonement in 4.25. Jesus Christ was delivered over because of our transgressions and he was raised because of our justification we will end there we do not have time to get into the atonement that verse is, means a lot who was Jesus delivered over for and whom was he raised from the dead for and did Jesus actually justify anyone or not is the question and that should really shape your theology what you believe about that verse Romans 4.25 Was Jesus raised for the dead for all people who've ever lived? Or was he raised for those who were justified? That is the question I leave to you. And if that is the case, then for whom was he delivered over for? In the same sentence. Lord, thank you for this time. I pray, Lord, that 
you would change our hearts more and more for Christ and that we would take the scriptures more seriously as Christians and that we would realize some of these scriptures that we have looked at today are sobering and should remind us of your truth in other ways and in greater ways. Help us to care for our own walk and help us to care and love for others' walks. Help us to encourage others to love and good deeds by being those who live out love and good deeds. Amen. You're dismissed, if you wish. Yes.